Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening this week. This is our Bible episode. So if you're new here on Thursdays, we do a Bible episode where we go over a chunk of scripture. We are doing a Bible in a year plan. So today is the book of Acts, and we're going to go through the entire book. And we are actually finishing the Bible in a year very soon. In the next couple of weeks, there's going to be two Bible episodes per week. So we finish in time for the rest of the planned podcast for the year. So this is the book of Acts. Now, I haven't read this in a really long time. I feel like I get intimidated by this book or just skip over it just because of the amount of places that it mentions and like how they were all traveling around and stuff. And so I feel like there's just a lot of names to wade through of places that Paul's going and things like that. So I haven't read Acts in a very long time. I did not realize how much Paul traveled. And if you go on my Instagram at Abby Rancor, um, I have posted a picture of a map of where Paul travels. So he takes four journeys in this. Three of them are around to preach and everything. And then the fourth one is to venture to Rome to go testify. Um, in front of Caesar. So all of those journeys are like mapped out on this actual map. So go take a look at that because it is really amazing how far he traveled. And, you know, obviously they didn't have any cars or anything, planes, but well, they had boats, but probably very slow boats. And so this was a large portion, I feel like of his life. It says that he stayed in some cities for like a year and a half. So the book extends over a long period of time but he just, he was on the road preaching the good news to people. So it was a great book. I should be reading this book more often. So if you have not, highly recommend that you actually go through and read all of the book of Acts. But let's hop into it. And this is our Bible study episode. get right into it because we have a lot to cover in this episode. Acts is 28 chapters long. Some of them are pretty short. Some of them are very long. There's like full history recaps and stuff. So um, let's get into it. So Acts 1, Jesus is taken up into heaven. So after he suffered and died and resurrected, he presented himself to his disciples and it said that he gave many convincing proofs that he was indeed alive. He appeared over to like he appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days and he told them to wait in Jerusalem to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So a lot of them had just been baptized uh, or they had been baptized, but the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon them yet. So um, as he was talking to them one day, he was just taken up. So on the 40th day, after he had appeared for 40 days, he was taken up into heaven while he was he was talking to them and so all the men were standing around looking up and being like where did he go what did what just happened basically and two angels came to him and said that jesus will come back the same way he went to heaven so they said why are you looking up looking for him he'll come back the same way that he just left at some point so then the disciples went to the mount of olives and they joined together in prayer Peter stood and said that the scripture concerning Judas would be fulfilled, or he recapped what happened with Judas. 
So if you remember from some of the gospel accounts, it said that Judas had bought the, or had betrayed Jesus with 30 pieces of silver. And verse 18 in Acts 1 says, With the payment he received for wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, field of blood. Sorry, I think I said that he paid them $30, but he got paid 30 pieces of silver. Um, so he used that money to buy a field where he died and that field is called field of blood and that was a prophecy that was fulfilled because of judas so now judas is obviously he's dead he's out of the group um so they had to replace judas with someone who was with them the whole time because they wanted someone who still had a very strong witness who saw jesus preach then saw him die then saw him raised from the dead you can't really qualify to be one of these core disciples without all of those things because they wanted someone who definitely believed the same way was at the same level of faith as them and had seen everything that they can actually give a good witness so they nominated two people one of them was matthias and he was low he was chosen after they had cast lots so we have a new full set of 12 disciples. Okay, then in Acts 2, this is where the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Now, this is where the Pentecostal branch of Christianity really sprouts out of. And I'm going to be doing a full um, podcast about the Pentecostal denomination and their known really as like the hyper charismatic movement from what I'm aware of. They speak in tongues a lot. They're very much about the gifts of the spirit and things like that. But this is where it originates from. We'll go over the Pentecostal denomination more in detail later, but this is kind of, from what I understand, the base of their faith is this Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. So they were all gathered around and for um, Pentecost, and there was a large, like a sound of a violent wind, it said. It came and filled the house. And then everyone started speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, there's a lot of debates whether the gift of tongues is, like can happen all the time versus whether it can happen like it's for a use. So, okay let's just okay it says that they spoke in tongues as the spirit enabled them then all these other people around them who were from all over they had a lot of different own like mother tongues they heard they all heard their own language being spoken even though it was by a group of people that shouldn't have been able to speak their language i'm assuming they were speaking everyone's language about jesus about the gospel about the lord and so the gift of tongues, for some people, they argue that you only receive the gift of tongues when there's a purpose, when there is someone there who maybe doesn't understand uh, your language. So if I was in a group of people, if I was in some other country, let's say like, uh, I don't know, so somewhere in Africa and they don't know English, and I am not able to speak their language, then some people argue that the gift of tongues would come 
to in order to help them understand the gospel and so there was like a practical application to the tongues language other people argue that anytime you get the holy spirit it could be tongues even if it's not understood by anyone around you it is like a heavenly language used to communicate with god um so that is another whole topic but those are kind of the views on the speaking in tongues thing this one very much seems like it is for a purpose of having other people understand the gospel but there are some other ones that it's not as clear so there are some other instances of speaking in tongues that we will get into um so a lot of people who didn't want to believe in the holy spirit or jesus around them said oh they've just had too much wine they're drunk um but peter stands up and addresses the crowd and says they're not drunk it's like 9 a.m they have not drank any wine but this fulfills a prophecy by Joel and the prophecy says in the last days God will in the last days God said I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my servants both men and women I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, um, then Peter recaps like how Jesus came, how he did wonders, how he was handed over, he was put to death, and then God raised him from the dead three days later. It says um, in chapter, let's see. Oh, I just copied and pasted the same exact section in my notes. So yeah, so he stands up and summarizes all of these things. People heard this like recap that he gave and like how they kind of contributed to killing Jesus. And a lot of people, it cut them right to the heart, it says, and he told them to repent and be baptized. So even to the people that played an active role in killing Jesus, he didn't care. He said, repent and be baptized. So at this point, the fellowship of believers is growing. There were three pe 3,000 people added to their number. They did everything together. They sold all their goods and gave to the needy and kind of like lived communally, it seems. Okay, Acts 3, Peter heals a lame beggar. So um, Peter and John were going to the temple and a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the gate to beg. Um... Peter says, listen, I have no money, but in the name of Jesus, walk. And the man was healed immediately. So these onlookers saw him and were very surprised and ran over and were in awe. And, he, and Peter says, why does this surprise you? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man was made strong. Repent and turn to God. So again, he's saying like, you did this, but you can still repent. Uh, in verse 21 through 26, it says, Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise, you, raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets of the 
and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So he's like, listen, you're living in the time that has been foretold by many, many prophets. You need to accept this gift. Okay, Acts 4, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin. So from what I have gathered and read, uh, the Sanhedrin is like this big council of Pharisees and Sadducees. This is far from the last time that Peter and John will be in front of the Sanhedrin. They get called there uh, multiple times. So... Um, let's see. It says that the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were very disturbed because they were proclaiming in Jesus in the resurrection of the dead and they didn't like that too much. So they put the two men in prison. But a ton of people who had been hearing their message were believing. So like it said five, the the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. So the next day when everyone met in Jerusalem, the high priest was there and all of the high priest family. And they ask, they question uh, Peter and John and say, what, by what power and what name do you do this? Well, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gives this speech that salvation is only found in Jesus and you know, they crucified him, but God raised him from the dead and just gave them the rundown of the gospel. And so it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they called Peter and John back in and said, you can't teach in the name of Jesus. You can't speak the name of Jesus. This is no longer allowed. And this is important. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the Sanhedrin just threatened them more. Again, there was nothing they could really do because they had seen this sign. They knew people were believing. They could have a riot on their hands if they did anything to these men, really. Um, it said they couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. And there was a man who they all had known for 40 years who had been miraculously healed. So there's not a lot that they could do to punish them or else it would look very odd because everyone was fine with it. Okay, so then it says all the believers pray. So they all pray to consider Herod and Pilate's threats and enable, they said, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The meeting place shook and they started preaching the word of the Lord boldly. So this is another speaking in tongues thing where I wrote like filling, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not always speaking in tongues. It said they preached the word boldly, but it doesn't specify they spoke in other tongues. So 
they're not always explicitly like they're not always tied it's not always a one for one you can be filled with the holy spirit not speaking in tongues or part of you being filled with the holy spirit is you can be speaking in tongues that's what it seems like from reading this okay the believers then share all the possessions it goes over how they continue to testify of the resurrection and there was no one needy among them they again all kind of lived communally and god's grace was so powerfully at work that many of them sold land and brought money to the apostles they just voluntarily voluntarily sold their land or all their possessions so then in acts 5 this is where things get a little crazy um <laughs> this story used to freak me out as a kid and I forgot it was in Acts but yeah um so this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 so there is a couple who decided to sell their property and they wanted to look good in front of everyone so they sold their property and they knew the price that they had received and they brought it to the apostles as if they were giving everything they had made like let's say that they had a house and they sold it for two hundred thousand dollars well they kept like let's say twenty thousand dollars for themselves and then they presented to the apostles oh my gosh we have brought you a hundred and eighty thousand dollars to you we are so generous essentially is what uh it came off as and then in chapter three peter says Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land sold? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? So, she does not know what has just happened to her husband, but they had both agreed to lie together. She said, yes, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about the events. So, yeah, this used to freak me out because they told, told a lie and then immediately were struck down dead. And this is in the New Testament after, you know, you assume, like, the punishments are less um, severe than the old testament but very good lesson and it reminds me about that parable that i said a while back was like the most impactful parable to me where um a man who owns a vineyard like hires workers in the morning and they agree on a price of let's say five dollars and then more workers come in at noon and they agree to a price of five dollars and then more workers come at five and they only work for like an hour but they still get five dollars well, the men who had been working all day complained that the people who had worked shorter than them got the same amount of money. And the story goes, like, the owner of the vineyard says, did I jip you in any way? We agreed on this price and I paid it to you. I can do with my money 
what I want. And kind of in the same way, Paul here uh, said, was it Paul? Peter said, didn't you own this before? You had every right with what you could do to them with the money. You didn't have to give any. But since even though you gave, in our example here, $180,000, the fact that you lied is worse than giving generously. If you had just been honest, then it really truly would have been like generous and a good thing. But instead you tried to lie to the Holy Spirit, which is not good. Okay, then the apostles are healing a bunch of people. They, you know, got that authority to go and heal people. So many signs and wonders are being performed. The apostles are then starting to get persecuted. So they were arrested, they threw them in jail, but the angel of the Lord opened the jail doors and brought them out. Officials the next day went to go get them from the jail. It was locked with guards standing at the door, but there were no people inside. And they reported back that they were, the, the prisoners, all the apostles were back at the temple preaching. So again, they were brought in, persecuted, and questioned by the high priests and the Sanhedrin. And they basically said, like, you need to stop because you're making us look bad for making it look like we're guilty of Jesus's death. And they again say, we must obey God rather than human beings. Uh, so it says that the Sanhedrin and the high priests were furious when they heard this, they wanted to put him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, he was honored by all people and he stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a second. And he addressed the group and he said, listen, like consider carefully what you intend to do with these men because a long time, like a while ago, this guy Thudis appeared and he claimed to be somebody and there were 400 men that followed him and he was killed and all of his followers were dispersed. It came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared um, in the days of the census and he landed, led a band of people in revolt. When he was killed, his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose for or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop it. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So there's one high priest who has some sense about him, which is nice to see. <laughs> um, okay. So his speech persuaded them. They called in the apostles and had them just flogged. They didn't know what else to do. And they just again ordered them to not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles then left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And it said day after day, they're in there preaching about Jesus in the temple. Okay, in Acts 6, there was the choosing of the seven, is the title of this section. Um, so the number of the disciples were increasing, and there were some debates or some bickering going on about the Hellenistic Jews were complaining uh, against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were getting overlooked in the distribution of food. So they had to take care of some logistical business and choose seven disciples to go handle that. Uh, and to make sure everything was kind of fair and that everyone was getting fed. So they did that. And then Stephen was one of the disciples and he was performing great signs and wonders 
among the people. There were some Jews that rose in opposition and began to argue with him, but he was just, he had a lot of wisdom that the spirit gave him. So they didn't like that. They stirred up rumors that he had said blasphemous things against Mo, uh, Moses so that the elders would seize him. And as they were accusing Stephen, as they were accusing him, they looked over and Stephen's face, it says, was like that of an angel because he was like filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, then they bring Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin. This is a common theme. They are accusing these people left and right here. Um, so in Acts 7, Stephen gives this whole speech to the Sanhedrin. He talks about like their ancestors, how they were enslaved, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, tells the whole story of Joseph, how he became like the Pharaoh and saved them from a famine. He talks about Moses, how Moses killed someone, the burning bush, how Moses was sent to be a ruler from God but that the people didn't obey him. They built an idol in the form of a calf and talk about talks about how Solomon built a house for God. And then he wraps it up by quoting like what I believe Moses said, where he said, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Um, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, this is Stephen talking, but that you stiff-necked people is a quote from the Old Testament. It says, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute or even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one? And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. So at that, they gnash their teeth they, uh, Stephen looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he saw the glory of God. Like they heard this all happening and they covered their ears, they yelled, they rushed him, they drug him out of the city and began to stone him. And as he was like right before he was dying, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he also said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he died. So again, so like right off the bat, the disciples are not having an easy go of it once Jesus has died. So in Acts 8, the, you know, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Every, all except for the apostles, like the main group scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then Saul rises to power, who will later be Paul, but Saul is in charge and he is beginning to destroy the church. He's going from house to house and dragging out all men and women who believe and imprisoning them or killing them. So then Philip is in Samaria and uh, the scattered preach the word everywhere they're going. So even though everyone's scattered, they're still all spreading the word. Philip goes to Samaria and heals many. And so there's great joy in that city. Okay. Then it talks about Simon the sorcerer. So many people gave Simon the sorcerer a bunch of attention. He claimed, he, or they claimed that he had the power of God, but Philip preached and Simon the sorcerer heard and believed. Now, the people there had been baptized but hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So, again, those apparently aren't necessarily connected. So my question that arose out of that is, how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? 
some that's why some people believe that it's marked with like speaking in tongues or prophesying uh so again like I feel like I just need to do a full topic episode where I go through all these instances and figure out what I believe about all that but uh it says they had been baptized by water but had not received the Holy Spirit Simon saw they were laying hands on people and the Holy Spirit would be on them and so Simon went to uh Philip forgot his name for a second Simon went to Philip and offered money and said like here can I buy the power to do that too like to lay my hands on someone and they can receive the Holy Spirit and the apostle said that your his heart is not right with the Lord repent of this wickedness and pray that he forgives you like hey uh Simon this is really off the mark like you should not be offering money to get the Holy Spirit and Simon says, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you said may happen to me. Okay, then Philip is traveling down the road because an angel told him to go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And on the way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what this means? And he said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he reads a passage. He's explaining it to him. They go on for a while on the road. And then the eunuch, like, they come across some water. And the eunuch says, uh, there's water. What is preventing me from getting baptized? So they go out and baptize him. And the Lord suddenly takes Philip away. And the Ethiopian eunuch never sees him again. But it doesn't bother him in the slightest. He just says, like, okay, like, I'm just going to go down on my way. And he goes on his way rejoicing. Uh, Philip, I originally thought he was taken to heaven, but like in the couple sentences later, it just says Philip appeared at Azotus and traveled preaching the gospel in all of the towns. So God literally just transported Philip. Okay, then in Acts 9, we're getting to some really good stuff. Saul's conversion. So Saul went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so he could see all the believers so that he could go take him out and imprison them and put them to death, presumably. When all of a sudden a light flashed around him and a large voice said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus appeared to him and said to get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling around him or traveling with him stood speechless because they had heard the sound, but they couldn't see Jesus. Jesus only appeared to Saul and so Saul got up, but he was blind because of this light. And so the men with him had to lead him to Damascus. He was blind for a total of three days. At the same time, he was telling Ananias to go to a house. Ananias was a disciple or a man of God. And God came to him in a vision and said, go to this house. You're going to meet Saul. And Ananias said, I've heard of this man. I bet I'm going to get arrested but the Lord said, no, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Uh, so Ananias is faithful and goes, even though that must have been terrifying because Saul had been killing every Christian. <laughs> so if he doubted that that was God's voice, that would be very scary. But he went, he met Saul and the scales fell from Saul's eyes he got up, he was converted, and he was baptized. 
He then spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. He was learning all about Jesus and stuff. And so he began to preach and people were very confused because he was persecuting everyone before. And then he did like a complete 180 and he was with the disciples preaching now, which was very confusing to everyone. And there was a conspiracy to kill him. So his followers took him and hid him in a basket through an opening in the wall so he could escape the city. From there, he went to Jerusalem and tried to join the disciples, but word had not reached there yet that Saul had converted, so no one believed him. And it, they thought it was like some trick that he, you know, was trying to get on the ends, I guess, with them and and that he didn't actually believe. But a man named Barnabas who I believe was with him the whole time, vouched for him and said, yes, he actually is a true believer. And so that is how the disciples there kind of were able to believe him. So he preached around the city. He debated with Hellenistic Jews who had who tried to kill him. Everyone's always trying to kill the people talking about Jesus. Um, so the believers learned and took him to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Then it was a kind of a time of peace for the church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Okay, um, Peter then traveled around and healed a lame man named Aeneas. And then there was a good woman uh, named Dorcas who had died. And then Peter raised her from the dead. Okay, Acts 10, uh, Cornelius calls for Peter. So a man named Cornelius saw an angel of God that his gifts to the poor came up as a memorial offering before God and um, he was to send men to bring Peter back. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile, which you don't really, at least I didn't piece together till the end of the story. Um, but then Peter has a vision of the sheet. This is a pretty famous part of the Bible, which I've really used as a justification for not following the food laws of the Old Testament. But now that I read it a second time, like in its whole story arc, I'm not sure that's actually the full meaning of that. So let me just recap. He has a vision that there's a sheet lowered with all kinds of animals on it, reptiles, birds, everything that's considered unclean or impure. And he hears God's voice saying, kill and eat. Now, Peter says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then God answers, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So that on the surface looks like it's just a food reference if you just read that section. However, um, at that moment, the men that Cornelius sent came to Peter and said, hey, come back and see the centurion that sent us. So Peter goes and um when he arrives there he says it is against the rules for a jew to associate with a gentile but god said that i cannot call anyone unclean so yes it might apply to the food rules but i think it more applies to the fact that the gentiles there was a very large division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we'll see later that there's a lot of debate whether Gentiles can be saved by Jesus among the early church. And this is one of the main turning points where Peter realizes that God is calling him to preach to the Gentiles. 
and that he is not allowed to call anyone unclean, even if they're a Gentile. So based on that vision, he said, I can't call anyone unclean. So he preached about Jesus and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the room of Gentiles, which they before had only um, thought, I guess, that the Holy Spirit could be poured out on Jews. So they heard them speaking in tongues. Again, there's another speaking in tongues. So maybe it's not always for a practical purpose. It doesn't go into that much detail about who was in this room and if there were other languages that needed to be spoken or whatever. But um, the Holy Spirit was poured out on a group of Gentiles and they were all baptized in the name of Jesus. This is a very large turning point in the book. Okay, so Peter was criticized in Acts 11 for hanging out with uncircumcised men or Gentiles. Peter told them the story and... Okay, so at first I was like annoyed because I was like, how could they be criticizing them, him for hanging out with uncircumcised men? Jesus hung out with sinners and things like that. But it was nice because Peter basically recounted them the whole story about how God told him to go. God told this, you know, Cornelius to go send him, send for him. And so, and then he told about how the Holy Spirit was poured on them and they were all believers and that they were baptized. And once they heard the whole story, they had no further objections, it says, and they praised God. And they said, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life as like a new discovery. I didn't really realize that this was a debate in the beginning of the church. Like they're learning as they go from God. They've learned a lot from Jesus, but they're now learning the the actual application of like, hey, the Holy Spirit can come on Gentiles too. They're actually granting repentance. He's granting repentance to Gentiles as well. So they're still learning, which was kind of cool to read about. So some of the scattered church went to Antioch and spoke to the Greeks and told them about Jesus. Barnabas and then Saul went to uh, and preached to Antioch for a whole year and the name Christians originated originated in Antioch so that's where instead of just you know the division is starting to come in with the Jews that don't believe in Jesus and then the Jews that do are now being called Christians at least in Antioch um and then this man named Agabus who was a prophet stood and predicted a severe famine so that the, well, okay. He stood and predicted a severe famine. And in response to that, the disciples helped provide for the brothers and sisters living in Judea to get them through this famine. All right. Acts 12, James was put to death with the sword and Peter was seized. The There were two guards next to him. He was in chains. He had, there were people standing at the guard of the entrance. And after all that, an angel still broke him out of a vision, broke him out of prison in this breaking out of prison event, he thought it was a vision. So he didn't actually think that he was awake. He thought that he was like asleep, having a vision where the angel was leading him out of the prison, out of the city wall and leading him to freedom. And then he realized it was not a vision. He was actually out of prison. He went very quietly and told all the people praying for him because his trial was supposed to be the next day. And so all these people were gathered praying for him and he went and told the people they were astonished. And then the next day, when they went to go check on him, chaos broke out at the prison. 
and the guards were executed, which I feel really bad for the guards because they were blamed with this when it was literally an act of God that they were broken out of prison. So that really sucks for the, the guards. Um, okay, then Herod dies. So Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of T Tyre and Sidon. Um, and now they had joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. So they were like giving him credit saying that he was a god and then he he didn't say no i'm not a god here's the you know we should be praising the one true god he just took it all of himself he's like yeah worship me like a god and so he was struck down um barnabas and saul then returned to jerusalem with john who is also called mark there's a lot of name changing this is another reason why this book is like kind of confusing because there's so many names so many places and then some people are called two different names, like Simon Peter and John slash Mark. Um, but they were sent off to do God's work after the Holy Spirit spoke to believers. All right, Acts 13, they went to Cyprus to preach there and they went to an island called Paphos. Um, and they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Paul said, you are the child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. The hand of the Lord is against you and you will be blind for a time. So this sorcerer uh, ended up going blind. Okay, Paul then gives like a full recap from the time of Egypt through the time of Judges. You know, when David was reigning as king, he talks about John the Baptist, talks about Jesus being killed and raised from the dead. And everyone liked his sermon, or enough people did, that he was asked to come preach at the next Sabbath. But a lot of the Jews were jealous and started slandering him. So he said, okay, whatever, I'm not going to preach to the Jews then. I'll go preach to the Gentiles. And many of them believed. It, um, and then because of this whole thing where he was going to preach to the Gentiles and not the Jews, the Jewish leaders stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Oh, I don't think I mentioned, but it's probably gathered that Saul's name changed to Paul once he was a believer. Okay, in Acts 14, he was in Iconium, Iconium a city. Uh, so he went to a new city, he preached, some believed, some didn't, and then some conspired to stone them. So they fled out of that city. He went to Lystra and Derb in the next section or Derby. He healed a man and the man thought Paul was a god and wanted to offer him sacrifices. Oh, the whole city wanted to offer him sacrifices. And Paul said, no, no, we're only human. But it was still hard for people to realize like that they were just humans and not gods. So they started stoning Paul. Um, I think this is in the next city, but they started stoning Paul. They drug him out of the city, started to stone him. He laid there like he was dead. They thought he was dead. 
And then he just got up and went back into the city. And then the next day left for a new place and kept preaching. And that is the ultimate example of perseverance in preaching the gospel. Uh, okay, then the next little section in Acts 14 is that they won a large number of disciples, returned to Antioch, and then uh, Paul and Barnabas appointed elder elders, reported the good things that God had done for them, and that the door of faith was open for the Gentiles. So again, a lot of the people in Antioch still didn't believe that Gentiles could be saved or just hadn't ever preached to the Gentiles. And then Paul and Barnabas reported back and said, like, nope, the door is open for them. Let's start preaching to the Gentiles. In Acts 15, some people came down from Judea to Antioch and said that uncircumcised men couldn't be like that the uncircumcised couldn't be saved which Paul and Barnabas had just said yes they can so there was a hot debate going on and so they needed to figure this out with all the elders in Jerusalem so Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles about this question Peter vouched like really vouch for it saying that the Gentiles can be saved by the grace of Jesus and it's the same grace of Jesus that the Jews are saved by and it was very convincing because he had just seen like Gentiles be filled with the Holy Spirit so they said yes it seems like they can be so let's not make it difficult for Gentiles turning to God it shouldn't be any more difficult than it sh- than it needs to be we want to encourage this faith um, even among Gentiles and so they said we should just write them and tell them to abstain from food polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality and from meat, uh, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. Now, if you listen to my episode on Monday about Jehovah's Witnesses and that denomination, it talks about they don't take blood transfusions because of this verse and other similar verses like it. Now, in some, the order of the things that they should abstain from suggest that they shouldn't be eating blood but some blood is like a standalone thing so they take that this abstaining from blood meaning they should not be consuming not even consuming but they shouldn't be they, they shouldn't be interacting with someone else's blood or accept other people's blood into their bodies in any way so they can't take blood transfusions. A lot of other people have taken that as you shouldn't eat the blood of animals or some people just don't seem to have any sort of rules about that. So, uh, but that is the origin of that uh, sort of doctrinal difference for Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, so then the council sends the letters essentially encouraging them, but saying, I th- we think you can accept the Holy Spirit, but just abstain from those things. The people who read it were glad for the encouraging letter, and Paul and Barnabas delivered that letter. Then there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Paul wanted to go back and visit the believers in the other towns to see how they were doing, which Barnabas was on board with, but he wanted to take Mark, also known as John, with them. However, Mark, also known as John, had deserted them in a different town, and so Paul didn't trust him and didn't want to take him. It said that there was such a sharp disagreement that they ended up parting company. 
In Acts 16, Timothy joins Paul and Silas. So Silas ended up going with Paul once Paul and Barnabas split up. Timothy joins them. Um, and so now the kind of trio here is Paul, Silas, and Timothy that we're following. Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying to come help them. And so he went down to Macedonia to go preach. There was a woman there... Uh, named Lydia, who it said was a dealer in purple cloth, and she believed and was baptized, her whole family was, and they invited Paul and Timothy to stay with them. Then, um, Paul and Silas ended up in prison, and here's how. There was a woman slave who had a spirit within her, like an evil spirit, where she told fortunes, and she, because it was an evil spirit, she ran around yelling and kind of heckling Paul and Silas. And she was saying like, these men are talking about the one holy God. And anyway, she would not leave them alone. And Paul got so annoyed that they commanded the spirit out of her. And once her owners, since she was a slave, her owners realized that they can no longer make money off of her. And so they seized Paul and Silas, severely flogged them and threw them in jail. Well, again, there's another prison escape where there was a huge earthquake, the prison doors flew open and they were able to escape with all of the prisoners in the prison. The guard, seeing that no one was in there, was about to kill himself because he was going to probably get executed anyway from what we've seen in other chapters. But Paul said, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here. He told them the good news of Jesus and he believed in God. Um, what, okay, then verse 35 says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered you, that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. They say, everything's fine. Sorry, we made a mix up. You can just leave. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. I like that Paul has some spunk in him and saying, like, no, you come escort me out. You did what is wrong. So, I don't know. I kind of like that. In Acts 17, they went to Thessalonica and they went through the scriptures. Like when they would go preach in the temple on Sabbath, they would very methodically, and this is why I like theology uh, as a topic, they would go through all the scriptures and say like, look, here's where it says that Jesus would need to rise from the dead, raise again from being dead. So he... This is where it proves this. They basically took a very theological approach and, and walked through and said, here's a prophecy, here's a prophecy, here's a prophecy where it says that Jesus would have to rise from the dead. Some believers joined him and a lot of Greeks actually converted. So a lot of the Gentiles converted. A riot then broke out from the jealous Jews, like the part, the people that weren't believing who were Jewish there was a riot that broke out. They drug this man, Jason, out of his house looking for Paul and Silas. Uh, they weren't there, so they let Jason out on bond. In Berea, 
Many people examine the scriptures to see if what Paul had said was true. Many believed, and then more Jews started stirring up the crowd in that city as well. Uh, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy's, Timothy stayed there. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul gets to Athens. He's greatly distressed that the city is full of idols, but you know, in Greece, they're all very open to new ideas and everything. So they brought him to a forum to discuss his new idea. Now, I didn't put this together that long ago that the time of Jesus was also the time of the Greeks, like going over all their new ideas and stuff. For some reason, I don't know why I separated those in history, but Paul was actually going to the Greeks at the time where all they would do is like stand around and talk about new ideas. So, um, kind of interesting. Again, some people believed and some sneered at the idea of the resurrection because they were like, there's no way someone could raise from the dead. Then Paul went to uh, Corinth. He preached every Sabbath. Silas and Timothy then came down from Macedonia to join him. A lot of Jews opposed Paul became, um, and became abusive towards him. And so he said, oh, this is where he said, fine, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So he's been preaching a lot anyway, but um, now he was like, fine you Jews don't want to hear me in Corinth. I'm going to go to the Gentiles and preach to them. So he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half after he had a vision saying that he would not be harmed while he was there. Um, okay. Verse 12 of Acts 18 says, while Gallio was pronsical of Achaia, Again, names are very hard. It said, The Jews of Corinth made a, a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people of worship is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be the judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, I don't know, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the pronsicle. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. So this guy does not care. He's like, settle this amongst yourselves. Okay, then um, Priscilla and Aquila were the people that he had stayed with in Corinth that he met. And um, in verse 24 here, it says, a, man, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he hadn't even heard that Jesus had like come and taught and died and was resurrected. He only knew about John, uh, John the Baptist. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue about this. And when Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul again had stayed with while he was in Corinth, when they heard him, they invited him into their home and explained the way of God more adequately. So they explain like Jesus has been here and he died and this is who you're preaching about, but it has happened. 
when Apollos went to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who had, who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So again, very good at theology. He was knowledgeable in the scriptures. He could go and and pick out like specific points why Jesus was who he said he was. In Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus. Uh, people there were baptized with John's baptism. So again, similar to Apollo, they knew John's baptism, but they didn't know about Jesus. So they were told to believe in the baptism of repentance. The Holy Spirit came on them. Again, they spoke in tongues, another speaking in tongues when the Holy Spirit comes, and they prophesied. Paul went on there and preached for two more years and so that everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Again, some believed, some didn't. There were many miracles performed through Paul. Um, this was also an interesting story. In chapter, uh, verse 13, it says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So, again, like, even the demons know, they know who Jesus is. They know who Paul is. They said, who are you? You need to have... Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit in you, and you need to know Jesus because demons know him, but you need to have him received, repentance, saved, you know. Um, so interesting that even they say, oh, we know Jesus, we know Paul, who are you? Okay, when this had become known, the Jews of the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So people heard this. This was used as a example of why people need to draw close to the Lord. And they repented and turned from their evil ways. Even though it cost them a lot of money. They had bought these scrolls. They said, hey, we're burning them in public. This is not of God. So there was then a riot in Ephesus because a shrine maker who made all the idols in this city was losing business because of Paul. Paul was saying, these aren't right. And so he started riling up the people saying, hey, you know our goddess um, Artemis, who is like our pride and joy of the city, There, she's going to be discredited because of Paul. So the crowd was furious. They seized Paul and his traveling companions. And finally, the city clerk said, listen, doesn't the world know about the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the great Artemis and her image? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you want, you guys should calm down. You shouldn't do anything rash. You have, it says uh, in verse 37, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anyone, the courts are open 
and there are pronsicles. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. Um, so he dismissed the assembly. He kind of calmed them down temporarily. Once the uproar ended in Acts 20, Paul leaves from Macedonia. He went to Greece and stayed there for three months, but the people were plotting against him. So he then went back through Macedonia. Um, he raised a man who, from the dead who had fallen three stories while listening to Paul. So he was performing all these signs and miracles. And then Paul give this, give this very heartwarming speech about how, like, in the church leaders in... Well, yeah, he gave a farewell message to the Ephesian elders. So he basically said, I'm never going to see you again. Um, but again, both Jews and Gentiles must return to God in repentance and have faith. He's going to Jerusalem even though he basically knew that he was going to get captured in Jerusalem and people tried to convince him not to. Um, but he said um, he has not hesita hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, to keep watch over them themselves, be shepherds of the church. Um, he said, you know, basically stay true to the church he has preached and they were all very sad that they would not see him again and they wept in acts 21 he started his journey to jerusalem so his ship unloaded uh the, like i don't know goes through a whole list of places that he goes but he his ship unloaded cargo in tier and so he sought his disciples there and again they warned him to not go to jerusalem he traveled around. There were many locations later. Again, refer to the map <laughs> that I am posting on Instagram. And this man came over and said, he tied a belt around his hands and feet and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So the man had taken Paul's belt off and tied himself. Basically saying Paul's going to get captured. Paul knows this. He knows that he needs to go still. Um, and then Paul says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, they gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. They knew that God had told him to go to Jerusalem. So Paul told the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem all about what God had done with the Gentiles, says that, you know, not only are the Jews getting saved, but also the Gentiles are being saved. Okay, it says, When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been in, uh, informed that you teach all the Jews to live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them to not circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do do what we tell you. So basically they said, like, they're conspiring. Do what we tell you here to escape this. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are, a living, are living in obedience to the law. 
As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, blood. So they fill in, like, there's a long time between when Paul's leaving, doing these journeys, from when Peter is making all these decisions about what the early Gentile churches should do. So he said, okay, join in these purification rites, and by the way, this is what we told the Gentile church to abstain from these things. So Paul says, okay, he takes the men and purifies himself along with them, and he gives a notice of when the date that days of purification would end and the offering would be made. Then Paul is seized and they immediately try to kill him. The whole city is aroused, it says, and the people come running in all directions. They drag Paul from the temple and when the commander, when the news of this reaches the commander of the Roman troops, he um, took some officers and ran down the road and there was so much uproar that he couldn't get the truth of what was actually happening, like why they were all upset. And so he took them, um, he took them to the barracks and then lets Paul address the crowd. So they thought that he was Egyptian, but when they, he addresses them in Aramaic, they're all very quiet because they're amazed and confused. He, again, gives like a whole recap saying that he is... Um, wait talks about how he oh yeah he gives a whole recap about how he used to persecute the followers of christ he would put them in prison he would kill them he then told his whole testimony about seeing jesus on the road and how god made him blind for a period of time then had the scales fall off of his eyes and said that god had sent him to the gentiles because jerusalem would not accept his testimony at that last part the crowd started uproaring again. They flogged, they were about to flog him and tried to interrogate him why, to figure out why everyone was yelling at him like this. But as they were like stretching him out to flog him, he said, isn't it not legal to flog a Roman citizen that hasn't even been found guilty? Again, they don't realize that he's a Roman citizen. Um, so they were embarrassed that basically they were about to do this to a Roman citizen. So they released him and they ordered the chief priests and members of the Sanhedrin to assemble and then had Paul stand before them. Again, we're back at the Sanhedrin. Um, so Paul looked at him and said, I have fulfilled my, my duty to God in my good conscience to this day. Um, I don't know. There was a whole thing where the high priest ordered him to be struck on the cheek Paul said, how dare, you know, you're, you sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Um, he was kind of chastised for insulting the high priest. And he said, okay, sorry, I didn't realize that he was the high priest. I will not slander you because it says, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Okay. So this is like a whole fiasco before Paul is even talking, <laughs> really. Um, so then Paul knew that some of them were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. And so he called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of those things. So he knew that this would cause a disturbance in the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees f said they find nothing wrong with him because he said, what if a spirit or an angel spoke to him and the dispute became very violent? 
So there's a plot to kill Paul after this. Some Jews say they won't, will not eat or drink until the, Paul is killed. But Paul's nephew heard of the plan and warned Paul and then warned the centurion like in charge of looking at or uh, watching over Paul. So they say, listen, they want Paul to testify tomorrow, but don't let him because they're going to ambush him on the way. And so because of this, Paul is transferred to Caesarea um, where he will be tried. In Acts 4, Paul is tried before Felix in Centuria, or Caesarea. So he's transferred to Felix to get tried there. Um, It says in verse 22, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, which is like what Paul is preaching, adjourned the proceedings. Um after because Paul said hey what they said against me is not true I haven't been riling up this city they accuse me of causing a disturbance I have not been disturbing anyone um so he basically said that he was innocent several days later Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Jesus Christ As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Now, he's still technically in jail, but Felix gave him a lot of freedom for, like, his friends to come and take care of his needs, and he just had a lot of freedom in prison. So when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius, Festus. Nice name. Um, But because Felix wanted to grant favor with the Jews, he didn't release him. He left Paul in prison, even when it was, I think, custom to let him go. So then Paul has to be tried before this new guy. Festus was presented with charges against Paul. um, And then he asked Paul to have... He asked to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem because like he doesn't know kind of what to do with him I guess so Paul is being held at Caesarea and Festus is going there soon uh they brought many charges that could not be proven they said could you be transferred to Jerusalem Paul answered I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried he's like enough of this I need to be tried I don't want to be transferred to Jerusalem says, I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So he says, I need to talk to Caesar. Festus said, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Because Jesus has already told him that he needs to go to Rome. So that's why he's appealing to Caesar. Festus then consults King Agrippa, and Agrippa says that he wants to hear what Paul says. So no one really knows what to do. Like, they're like, he doesn't really have any real charges against him, but we have to do something, and the Jews want us to be holding him. So kind of like they did with Jesus, there's no charges. I mean, there's no valid charges. There's no crime being committed, but they're still holding him. So King Agrippa says, like, none of these charges are what I expected. I thought it was going to be actual misdemeanors or 
big crimes, but instead it's just their religion, and he doesn't know what to do about any religious uh, investigation. So he appealed to Caesar. He says, well, he appealed to Caesar, so I have to send him, but I have... I have nothing to write on him because none of these charges are adequate. So we brought him before a full like assembly and said, I've brought him here before all of you so that as a result of this investigation, I can have something to write when I send him to Caesar. So in Acts 26, um, Paul gives his whole testimony again, how he's followed the strictest sect of the religion as a Pharisee. He thought he had to oppose Jesus, how God turned him, said, why are you persecuting me? Um, told about how he would preach in the temple courts and how God has brought me here to testify that the Messiah would suffer, die, and rise from the dead, and that he did. Festus called Paul insane, but Paul said, I'm not insane, and he hopes that everyone in the audience would believe as he does. Um, then everyone, all the leaders say, basically he's done nothing to deserve death or even imprisonment he said this man could have just been set free if he had not just appealed to caesar so they don't understand why he appealed because he could have just been let go but now he has to go sail to rome and appeal to caesar which is part of the plan to spread the gospel they obviously do not know god's plan but paul does so then paul sets sail for rome um he goes through a bunch of different towns that are again on the map Um, at this time, much time has been lost because sailing has become dangerous. Now it was the day after atonement. So Paul warns them to not voyage. It's going to, he knows he is prophesying that it's going to bring great loss and damage to the ship and the cargo and be dangerous for their own lives. But they wanted to push through the majority of people, you know, say to keep going But there's a very bad storm. They end up throwing cargo overboard, tackle overboard. They had gone a long time without food. They finally take Paul's advice to go eat, to say like, or no, this isn't actually when. Um, Paul says, men, you should have taken my advice to not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves and the damage and the loss. But now I urge you to keep the courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So he, again, is prophesying and saying, don't be afraid. Um, an angel came to him and says, you must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage for I have faith in God and it will happen just as he told me. So he's prophesying that no one's going to die. Everyone keep calm. No one's going to die here. Then the men hadn't eaten for 14 days because there's so much going on, so much chaos. They were, they were encouraged when Paul urged them to eat and broke bread with them said no one was going to die, so they all ate, had a meal. The ship struck a sandbar, ran aground, the ship was ruined, all the cargo was ruined, um, but then everyone was able to eventually make it to shore safely. So now Paul is ashore on Malta, he is around a fire and a viper bit him, so people are like, wow, he, you know, they thought he was going to die, and they're like, God must not like him much because they brought him all this way just to die from a snake bite. And instead, he just shook off the snake. There were no ill effects and nothing ever bad happened to him. So he lived and then they thought he was a god. He, of course, said he wasn't a god, but 
Um, then he went around and cured many people. He then arrives in Rome and preaches at Rome under guard. So he called the Jewish leaders together, assembled them. He said, my brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestor, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They wanted to release me. He was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. He certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So Paul preached there. And then two years, Paul stayed there in a rented house and welcomed those who came to see him. And he preached with boldness. And that is where the book of Acts ends. Great, great book. I can't believe how many places Paul went. It's great. Um, but great recap. I don't, I don't know why I haven't read Acts in a long time. Again, it's a lot of names of places and stuff, but overall highly, highly recommend to go read through the full thing to see the history, very, very good history of the early church. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, next week we're going over, I think, Romans to 1 Corinthians. So that should also be great. We're going over the letters of Paul. So join me for that. Um, Monday's episode is on just any topic I want to learn more about and I am on a kick of learning different denominations and different faith practices. So we are going over Mormonism, what Mormons believe, the history of the church, all that kind of thing. So that should be, we got some good episodes coming up. So I will see you all on Monday. I hope you have a great weekend and uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks everyone. Bye.